But independence is not the end game. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's only a stepping stone towards your next relationship. A lot of people miss that. So if you're too independent, right? If you cannot form an interdependent, mutually giving and taking relationship, and that can be problematic. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. Right. Families with Dash offers a balanced parenting approach from generations of tried and true methods combined with research and insights from today. I'm Amelia Murdoch, founder of Dash Into Learning, the popular education company and homeschool mom of four. And I'm Joan Landis, licensed clinical mental health counselor, mom of seven adult children, and grandmother of 16 and counting. And I happen to be Amelia's mom. So what are we going to talk about? We want you to get the benefit of our decades of clinical experience and real life in the family trenches. We offer unique and actionable insights about family life, marriage, and homeschooling. Join us on Families with Dash and become confident and happy parents. Hi, we are back. This is great. I'm really glad to be back. I've been thinking about this a lot. Have you? Yeah. So we get to finish off this really exciting topic and super important. Super important. Helping teens to feel attached and also using attachment principles to successfully launch them Mm -hmm. towards their independence. So last week we talked about the secure yeah the safe the the safe safe haven haven, right so you're the safe haven right to go to when they're distressed Mm -hmm. and then this week is the secure base how do you become a secure base from which they can launch or explore go out into the world and how do you do that yes and I like this topic because sometimes it's so difficult with teenagers to find that balance of sheltering them right. versus giving them responsibility, letting right. them go out there. You see the extremes on both sides and you get kind of scared. So I really am excited about this. Right. Now, like we talked about um, in another week, that the normal progression for people is to go from a healthy dependence as a young, young child mm-hmm. and then to get to the point where they feel more independent as a young adult, an adult, and then to prepare them to form an interdependent relationship with their next primary attachment. So, As opposed to codependent. Right, because they've never been independent. Mm -hmm. But independence is not the end game. Mm -hmm. Okay, It's only a stepping stone towards your next relationship. A lot of people miss that. So if you're too independent. Right. If you cannot form an interdependent, mutually giving and taking relationship, and that can be problematic. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay. So I just want to kind of review that again. And one of the ways that I think it's really important for parents of teenagers, a lot of parents of teenagers don't know how to kind of uh, launch their teenagers, but still keep some supervision. A lot of times they're either supervising too much, mm-hmm. they're pulling the strings, they're micromanaging, or they just say, okay, great, you're 18, or okay, great, you're 16, here's the key to the car. Yeah. You can take care of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Neither one of those is appropriate. But a lot of times parents have no idea, like, what would something in the middle look like, a balanced approach, Mm -hmm. you know? So I would actually love to talk about that so parents get an idea of a mechanism that they can use. Give some examples. Right. So the mechanism is called stewardship delegation, okay? Now, I actually stole this from Stephen Covey. He was the one that wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And stewardship delegation is a different way to collaborate on people's goals rather than just what he called gopher delegation, saying, 
you know, go for this, go for that, right? Or hands off, Mm -hmm. whatever you want, right? Mm -hmm. So stewardship delegation is in the middle. And I'll just quickly kind of review some of these um, strategies and we can do a complete podcast on stewardship delegation, but just so you can kind of get an idea. Basically what you do is you're with your child and you say, okay, we have, you know, here's a problem that we're trying to solve and you've already got the plan. Now I can, I'm going to talk to you more about how to collaborate on Mm -hmm. how to get the plan. But say you have the plan, okay? You've talked to your child and your child goes, okay, I'm going to, as Stephen Covey said, mow the lawn, take care of the lawn and keep it green and clean, okay? Mm -hmm. And so that's the goal. So then what needs to happen is the adult needs to provide two things, actually three things. One is guidelines. Mm -hmm. The next one is resources, who is your resource? So the guideline is, you know, we think that the lawn needs to be mowed every week and uh, you can choose what time of day you want to do it. That's your choice, but it mm-hmm. needs to be done once a week and you choose the day or in the time. And you also need to look at the yard every day and make sure there's no trash. Pick up mm-hmm. the trash mm-hmm. once a day. Those are the guidelines. Who are the resources? Me, mm-hmm. your mom, you know, the neighbor next door, if you need advice on the, the brown spot, if you're trying to, if you're in, in charge of the fertilizing or things like that. Okay. And so those are the resources. And then the third thing is accountability. Mm-hmm. And so you set up with your child the accountability schedule. And so it's basically kind of a, like a formal check-in mm-hmm. or a return and report. This is very much like what happens in business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, you, you know, you say, okay, you've got this project to do. We need the report next week. How's it coming along? Mm-hmm. So this is actually super good training to launch them into the world, right? And so then they, you say once a week, I want you to return and report and you show me what you're doing. Show me your successes. This is great. And if there's problems, bring them up and we will problem solve together. I am a resource for you. Mm -hmm. Now, the main thing to understand is if a child is like, you're not sure, you don't really trust that they're going to do a very good job or they're going to crash and burn. Mm -hmm. You tighten up the accountability, you tighten up the guidelines and you give them more resources. Okay. So instead of uh, we check in once a week, maybe we check in three times a week, yeah. right? Yeah. Or in some cases with some goals, it might be every day, yeah. right? You know, you set up a schedule and the more you trust them, the more time can go by. Mm-hmm. So initially it might be a pretty, pretty frequent accountability return report, maybe, you know, like I said, and then gradually over time, as they become more competent, less and less of those check-ins. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, is you as the parent are not saying, okay, I'm going to evaluate you. Right. Right. So instead you invite your teenager to evaluate them. Right. It's more of a collaborating. Right. And you they are the ones, about it. right. They're the ones that are saying this part's really good. I'm having trouble with this part. And so it helps them instead of get defensive about your evaluation, it helps them to be more insightful and to become more authentic and more honest with what really is going on. And then you as a parent, you are their biggest cheerleader. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, I know that was awesome. You know, and then what if you have your teen who's just like, it's fine. Okay, right. So that means that they're playing games with you. Right. Okay, so they are not being authentic and honest. And that is a very common thing with with teenagers, super common. So then what what you have to realize is that you have a bigger problem than the lawn. Yeah. You you need to work on that relationship and make it really safe. For some reason, they don't feel safe being authentic with you. That orientation towards you, that attachment. Yes, yes. So for some reason, they they fear your judgment or you're taking over or whatever. Okay, so that's a super good question. 
I really like that. And then in your check-in, as they're doing the self-evaluation and you are their cheerleader and also the resource to solve problems, then um, also, you know, you as the parent can suggest tweaks. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, you know, the lawn, is, it is, it's got some major dry spots. I'm thinking maybe, you know, my suggestion would be to change the watering schedule. What do you think, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should check in twice a week, you know, or something like that. You might need to tighten it up temporarily and then you, you extend it out a little more. So, so in those check-ins, you can adjust the goals. You can adjust the check-ins, accountability, right, just during that check-in. It's a great formula for helping kids to launch without totally micromanaging yeah, or nagging or totally hands-off. Right. Now, if people can really learn this stewardship delegation, it can make a huge difference in their work, you know, corporate world, things like that, church things. It's, it's pretty great. So... That is a great tool to launch. Right. It's kind of like how companies have systems. Right. And companies that don't have good systems, they're not organized well, don't go well. It's the same thing with families. Families. Right. Very much. So how as as a parent do you keep yourself on track and not just forget about this stuff? Put a reminder on the phone. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That your phone is your friend in that way for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, you gradually decrease the supervision, but you as the parent always maintain the authority. Mm. Okay. You don't say, okay, well, the car is yours now, or, you know, you're responsible for everything with the car. You're like, yeah, maybe you are, but I'm the final authority. If push comes to shove, I can take those keys. Right. Right. And it's kind of, I mean, I know some families who say you can have a phone if you pay for it and then it's your phone. Right. It's like, but then that means you have no authority over the phone. Exactly. And so there's kind of that balance there. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to strike. Right. Exactly. Okay. Another thing is um, like when you were talking about family systems, this actually, you know, some kind of system for, you know, working or operating uh, an organization. Uh, Another thing that I think can be super important with teenagers and so many parents, you know, forget or don't do this, they'll do it at work. They're Mm. great at work, right? But you come home and everything drops. And Mm. so the the idea is to uh, create a tradition of regular times together, Mm. together time, like dates, and then also a tradition of like interviews or even check-ins, okay? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not necessarily stewardship delegation. It's like an overall. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? What's going on in your life, right? Right. This is where you can fill in more gaps on your love map, Mm -hmm. right? And and these little sessions, you know, can be over a drink somewhere. Yeah. It can be on a drive somewhere. But I have a friend who says they date their children. Yes. And so they, you know... They yes. have the time. They do it on their own, and they call it dating their kids. Yes. I think it's funny. Yes. It's cute. And it's that together time, right? right. Teenagers need it, too, and they, they really appreciate it. So one of the things that you want to do is, I mean, help them with their goals. Yeah. And help maybe even make a vision board with them. Yeah. You know, what, what do you want to do, right? And maybe they've got crazy goals. You know, I want to be a trapeze artist in a circus, right? Right. So here's your chance as a parent. You do not want to slap that down. Don't say, oh my gosh, that's the stupidest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Don't do that, Mm -hmm. right? Because the whole thing with goals is that it's the process that's important. It's like, right. And it's learning to set a goal. That's what changes you. Right. Learning to set a goal, organize and execute around that goal. And the goal itself, when you're 12 or 13, is not that big of a deal. But they're going to remember what did mom and dad do about that? Did they discourage me or were they a resource for me? Right. right. And it can strengthen your relationship, mm-hmm. build that, that attachment to say, okay, 
you know excited what? Excited about the same yeah. thing. If you are throwing a lot of effort at this, I'm behind you. If you're sitting on your hands, well, no, I'm not going to like buy you lessons and stuff. Forget it. Yeah. Right. But you are, you're, you're again, their biggest cheerleader. And so those interviews or that time together is really cool to set goals together. Mm-hmm. And if they have some crazy things, just support them as much as you can. And they will really attach to you. And then another one is, um, so I have a story. I have a story about the goal thing. Oh. I remember when I was like about 12, I had gone to some ballroom dance performance, like college mm-hmm. level ballroom dance. And I just was like enthralled. Oh. It was like the coolest thing ever. I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. I want to be a dancer. And mm-hmm. I never danced in my life. Like I was not a dancer. <laughs> but I remember telling my mom, hey, mom, like I want to be a dancer. That's what I want to do. When I go to college, mm-hmm. I want to do what they did. And my mom was like, okay, great. Let's get you some dance classes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably crazy because our family is not. And I right. never even talked about it, never even cared. <laughs> but I remember I took dance and I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'm doing this. And then I decided I didn't like it. There that it was it. But it was nice because I didn't feel like, man, my parents don't care about right. my dreams. And then I dreamt about it and it never happened. They were and just discouraging me. Yeah, exactly. Right? And But then you took that ability where you were so excited about dance and you pursued it. Then you t- pivoted. Right. You're able to do something else. Had your new goal. Right. And boom. There you were. And I knew, oh, I'm going to be supported. Right. And you had the habits. I have resources. And right. You had those habits yeah. of organizing and executing. Right. Yeah. So great. That's a great illustration. Exactly how it can be. Another thing in these dates or these interviews is to talk about your children's values. Hmm. Talk about the family values, hmm. your family culture. What is our family value? Yeah. Right? Have those discussions. Because if you can make those explicit, if you can help them to really clarify their values and and make them explicit, that helps them to be motivated and driven by values and core values instead of core issues. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And if they see you and you say, you know, I really value this. Right. And this is how I want to show up. And yeah, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent. I mean, you know, I'm not perfect, but that's how I want to show up. Yeah. And so, you know, Bobby, if you see me messing really bad, you have permission to gently remind me, mom, you know what? You said you valued like authenticity and mm-hmm. right there, I, I saw you like not telling the truth, Right. you know? And so it's, it's kind of a lovely way for them to start stepping into a little bit of those adult roles and and understand what your family value is and family's values and identify with them your values their values and you can support their values and if you never talk about it they will just uh, kind of adopt the pop pop culture values yeah i've known families that do they decide on a family motto at the beginning oh, yeah. of the school year mm-hmm. with school year starting. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone sits down and they think about what are our, what's our motto? And they'll put it in their kitchen. And so I always thought that was Love cute. It. And then also in my homeschool with my kids, we have, I've already made a list of like 20 mottos and they're like one line mm-hmm. mottos. Yeah. And every week we recite one of the mottos. Uh-huh. And so they kind of get in there. Some of them about manners or about just how to act. And so... Yes, I love that. I love that. And teenagers can, the, the elementary school age, yeah, they do a lot easy. by rote. Right, yeah. And teenagers can start really thinking more deeply about yeah. what are the implications. What if everybody, you know, just did, just chilled out? Yeah. What, what would happen to this world, right? Um, and so that, that can be a really cool thing to do is to really uh, examine and share your values. Another thing is to um, 
So last week we talked about what a love map was. Yeah. Right. That was really cool. Yeah. Well, another one to, to do is a life map. And so a life map is just kind of a fancy way of talking about their goals. But you can, for a life map, what you would do is, you know, you'd say you draw a big drawing like a map and you say, okay, this is where you are. And the goals are out on the periphery. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to be a ballet dancer. I want to be a football star, whatever it is. And then the life map, you draw a road and you have signposts or you have particular goals, milestones that need to be accomplished on the way. And so you actually draw those out for them and you say, okay, when you hit this milepost, this is an important thing. You know, the first contest that you win or the first touchdown that you make or Mm -hmm. the first piece of music that you memorize, whatever. And you make that life map for them and then they can see, oh, oh, here's where I am and here's some markers that show my progress, right? Because sometimes we get kind of, you know, in the weeds, we're like, okay, so, you know, if you want to be a great pianist every day, you have to practice for two hours. Okay, but then what happens? Then what happens? How do I get from that to where I'm going? And so the life map helps actually make a pathway of milestones and goals that gets them where they want to go. And of course, you can adjust those at any time. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, okay, we're not doing the ballet anymore. We're going for whatever. Yeah. And that's fine. But that life map is very fun and you can actually make posters of it, put it up in their room. This is your life map. And it just helps make a visual for teens to go, oh, here's the steps. Yeah. Right. I like that. And even if they don't know what they want, it's okay. You know, you just say, well, what sounds good? What, What sounds good for now? Let's do it. And then if we need to change, great. But yeah. There's different, yeah, there's all different goals that you could go for. It could be different types of, yeah, different types of goals. Right. So life, you can make a life map together around age 12 and it's some, you know, some of the paths, you can draw paths for them and say, look, here's the straight line. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a doctor, here's the straight path to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you go off on meander around here and and do this and that and this and that, it'll take you longer. Mm Mm-hmm. You learn different things. Mm-hmm. You just have to decide, you know, do you also want to be a, you know, a, a champion swimmer? Do you also want to, okay, then that's going to take you a little bit off that path, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just kind of fun for them to have that visual to kind of see that. Yeah, that's neat. Okay, how to listen so your child will talk. Yes, I think <laughs> this is applicable to everyone. We have those times. Well, and it's interesting because especially with boys, but even with girls, there's a reason why the communication tends to shut down at around age 13 or 14 with boys. And it's a lot of it is a biological reason, okay? It's how their brains are made. And when children are inside the womb, babies are growing, Around 16 weeks along, if you've got a little baby boy going on inside of you, at 16 weeks, there's a big wash of testosterone that comes over that little fetus. Mm -hmm. And that actually uh, does important things to their brain. It actually prunes back certain areas of their brain that this does not happen for baby girls. Mm -hmm. And the parts of the brain that are pruned back are the connections between the emotional part of the brain and the communication part of the brain. So what that does is when that baby comes out of you, it's a baby boy, compared to baby girls, at when and it kind of comes out early on, the little girls will jabber mm-hmm. and, and be very much into, what's your dolly's name? And my dolly is, is sad and have lots of words. Okay, mm-hmm. a lot of times that'll happen. They have a lot of words. They're talking about feelings. They're communicating about emotions. Okay, little boys, not quite so much. Okay. And so for a lot of little boys, they're not really talking about, well, Bobby was feeling bad. You know, they'll just haul off and hit Bobby 
or or they'll make these sounds like the rocket exploding, you know, and and that kind of stuff, but not so much communicating words about emotions as much or relationships as girls. And part of that is simply because of how their brain, you know, the the different neurons and, and things, different parts of their brain have actually been pruned back in utero. Isn't that interesting? Mm, it's super interesting. Now, with socialization and with growth, brains are extremely plastic, especially at that age, right? But with socialization and lots of, you know, mom and dad talking to him and, and eliciting his communication, he'll do fine. You know, he'll start talking about Legos. Oh my gosh, listen, look at my Legos. Or maybe they're interested in animals and like, you know, they want to give you the the all the natural history of the mongoose, something like that. Mm. And that's great. So what happens though, is that about age... 12 or 13, another wash of testosterone, Mm. okay? And it does the same thing to the brain. It tends to prune back these, these neurons in the communication and emotional parts of the brain, but then it stimulates huge growth in the sexual parts of the brain and the aggression parts of the brain. Mm. Isn't that interesting? interesting. So the, the kid that at age 11 was like, hey, mom, look at this. So <laughs> sweet. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Around and age 13 yeah. or 14, he's like, <laughs> right. He's right. grumpy, he won't talk, right? And he's just got all these really strong feelings, right? Okay, a lot of that's biology. Mm. So you just have to be a little patient with it. And again, just like that little toddler with a lot of socialization, a lot of support, that kid will learn to talk and talk about his feelings and things. But it naturally is a little trickier for some group of boys than it is for most girls, okay? Now, again, it's not every boy, it's not every girl. But as a group, there's mm-hmm. that, that tendency, and we just need to be a little bit compassionate about that. So how do you listen so that your kids talk? Well, basically, what you need to resist doing is jumping in and solving their problems. Mm. Okay. So if you have a kid that comes to you, it's so tempting to go, you know, to just try to solve their problems, but it will shut them down. So let's do a little bit of role play yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, Amelia is going to be the teenage girl. Yay. Yay. Coming with to me with a problem, and I'm going to do this in a less than stellar way. Hmm. I'm going to jump in and try to solve her problems. Just feel what it feels like. So. Okay. Hey, how how was school today? It was okay. You know, my my friends are just they're being so annoying. Oh wow, is Rachel ignoring you again? Yeah, and then the other girls started doing it too, and it's just it's just so annoying. Well, you know. I think what you need to do, I think you need to invite them over for a party and we'll just have a really great time and you'll reconnect and everyone will be think you're really cool and we'll open up our pool and everything and we can make this the party house and I think they're going to start paying attention to you again. Um, oh no, I don't know if that's a good idea. Right. Well, I think it's a great idea. Why yeah. don't you want to do that? I mean, it's, it, that would just be weird. Well, it's not weird. It I would, know. It. But it would be. Because no. because they're ignoring me. Ma- Amelia, this is, I've been a teenager before. You have not been a mom, teenager. Mom, you don't get it. You don't get it. That's not, that's not going to work. And now she's going to go to her room and slam her door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what were some of the feelings that were coming up for you? Because actually, I saw in your face, <laughs> like, she was actually feeling it. Like- she was feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> like here it is again <laughs> all this stuff happening what were some so so uh yeah i mean it's just like this is not gonna work and it's never gonna work it's just yeah. gonna be worse and this is not helping did it feel like i really deeply understood you right yeah it was like you don't get this right you don't get the situation right yeah yeah 
And it's kind of patronizing, isn't it? Right. It's like, you're an idiot. You can't solve your own problems, but I can swoop in and be super mom. Right. Yeah. So, so that's a great way to shut your teenagers down is to jump in with solutions, right? Yeah. Another one is jumping in with judgments. Ooh, man. Yeah. They'll, mm. That doesn't go. It's like, oh. oh. It's just like when you're upset and your husband comes in mm-hmm. and starts problem solving. Right. Because he doesn't feel the emotions. He's not right. there. Right. How do you feel? Like, just stop. <laughs> Like, <laughs> just listen to me. Yeah. I want you to get me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so especially the judgment can be a problem too. You know, if you're like, Rachel's always jealous of you. I, I think she's just really a jealous person. You shouldn't hang out with her. I mean, or that's if it's like, you're just not trying hard enough. Right. You're not being blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Like right, that's right. bad. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So like, judgment will shut teenagers down too. Hmm. Okay. So. What are the options? The, the different options are to listen with a lot of empathy mm-hmm. and not have a lot of judgments off the bat, not try to problem solve, but just actually elicit a little more emotion from them. And also to kind of be there like you're on the same team, mm-hmm. like the problem is out there and it's you and them against, you know, you're teaming up against the problem and and so anyway go ahead and redo that and we'll okay. see if we can do a little different okay take two yep hey mom hey how, how's rachel doing today i know she's been kind of a little bit off putting with you yeah she's just being annoying again just kind of hanging out with my other friends oh my just gosh. kind of ignoring again that's got to be so hard that has yeah. got to be so hard what did she do today that was the hardest Oh, she just like, you know, like I was going to meet her for lunch and she just walked off. I just walked over. She just walked off. Oh, sad. Oh, no kidding. I can imagine. So here she, you know, you had this date with her and everything. You had, I mean, you had a time set up. You're going to go to lunch. And yeah, and I was totally planning on doing it. And it was just just so weird. Right. And to see her just kind of turn away. Was yeah. she with anybody else or just by yeah, herself? Yeah, she was with all the other the oh. other group of girls. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's got to be the worst. That's that's really ha- sad. Yeah, it was sad. It was like, why would you do this? Right. Like we're friends. Right. Yeah, she's been a really good friend, and suddenly she's just rejecting you. Yeah, that does not feel good. And it's not like you had other friends. I mean, not only that, but you didn't have other friends to go with. You were by yourself, left yeah. by yourself. Yeah. Right. So that's got to be really, really tough. Man, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you want to hear about a time that happened to me or not? Yeah. Yeah. I was a junior in high school, and I had a really cool set of friends I loved. And um, I think it was because some guy asked me out that they all wanted, and mm. it was just ugly. It was so hard. I cried. I cried for a week. Mm. So hard. So I I don't get you totally, but I kind of am trying. Yeah. Well, I think you're a good person. I love you. I think I'm glad you're my daughter. And you know what? I'm glad that you're not the kind of person that breaks lunch dates and turns away and rejects people. I'm glad you're not not that kind of person. I'm glad you got a tender heart, honey. Yeah. Mm. Do you want a hug? Sure. (laughs) No. Okay. So that, so what we did there was we gave her room to talk about some of the deeper feelings. We actually elicited more emotion. It's called additive empathy. Um, We can talk about that in another podcast too, but additive empathy basically is, it's actually a clinical tool, but you as a therapeutic parent can do it. And uh, the best way to describe it is if somebody says to you, 
two, four, six, and you're able to say eight, mm-hmm. that person goes, oh, they get me. Right. They, they're, they're not just mirroring it back. They can go that next step. Yeah, they know me so well. Right. They know the situation so well. Right. They're, right. They're right there. Right. So the love map, again, is going to be your best friend. But then also one of the little phrases that I use that can be very helpful is not only that, but... Okay. So somebody is saying, you know, they got jilted at the altar Mm -hmm. and, you know, that felt so bad and they had this new dress and, and, you know, had all the invitations and all the guests were there and it was so embarrassing. And if you can say not only that, but you know, your old boyfriend might be watching this too. And that hurts even more. Mm. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you get me. Right. Right. So not only that, and then you just give a, you add a little more permission for them to really feel it. Right. Okay. So the last thing you're doing is saying, oh, it's not that bad. Right. Or you're going to be okay. Oh, it could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been worse. You're going to be fine. Don't do that. Yeah. Stay with them in their pain. And that additive empathy can be very, very useful for them to go, wow, she gets me. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a good thing. And then, and then just don't go to the judgment. Don't go to the fixing the problem right now. Mm-hmm. Wait till later. Maybe wait till the next day. Yeah. You say, have you thought about what what you could do? I, I have a lot of faith in you. You can good bounce idea. something off yeah. me if you want or not. Yeah. yeah. So, there. yeah. So that additive empathy and not judging and not problem solving is a great way to get your kids to talk to you, to keep it very, very, very safe. Another thing is to try to mirror their mood a little bit so that they feel that you're aligned with them. So, you know, the worst thing is if somebody is like really upset, like, I cannot believe this. I can't believe it. I'm so mad, you know. My brother, Josh, just whatever, whatever. Oh, this is terrible. Okay. So if you're upset like that and you have a mom that's saying, calm down, Cindy. Mm. Right. How mm-hmm. do you feel? Yeah. Horrible. Right. Mad. Right. So you can actually mirror them a little bit and you can actually get kind of animated too. You go like, no kidding. Josh did that. I can't believe it. And they, and then what, what else did he do? Oh, yeah. No, Josh. No. I'm gonna. So that's not just creating more drama. It Well, what it does... You, you don't do it for a long time. Mm-hmm. You just match them for a minute. And then when you come down, they'll fo- a lot of times follow you. Mm. Okay. So you do it for just a minute and then say, oh, okay, well, well sit down. Let's, let's talk. Sit down. Let's see if we can hear what's going on for you. Right. And help bring them down to baseline. But that little initial I'm matching you is actually really therapeutic. It's a very uh, primal type of thing that says your body and your voice and your body language is matching me. We're attuned and you get me on a very primal level. So if you have like a teenage son, like get in the car, you pick him up and he gets in. He's just quiet and somber. Mm -hmm. Would you be like, hey, how's it going? No, you wouldn't do that. No, you wouldn't be like, you know, I'm going to be really welcoming and. interact and connect and no you can you can do a little you can be Mm -hmm. warm but if he's really somber you can be quiet and then you can say it feels like you're kind of quiet huh yeah you're not like hey tell me about school no right that's not attunement yeah so it doesn't mean that you have to exactly what they do but Mm -hmm. you take your cues from their mood Mm -hmm. and then see if you can match it a little bit and then kind of guide them guide them take them to places a little better that's cool. Yeah, it's I hope really so. Cool stuff. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I mean, a lot of this stuff, like, I have not heard. I'm right. not hearing this. I know. Like, you get on Instagram, and it's kind of repetitive stuff. Sure, sure. But a lot of this is like, this is yeah. new information. Right. And a lot of it, 
is a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. you can't just put it in Instagram bullet points. One thing no. you kind of have to be doing what we're doing, having right. good conversations, right. hearing it happen. Mm-hmm have a fuller picture mm-hmm. of what this attachment is. Right. And that's why we're hoping this podcast can, that's why we're doing it. Right. But, uh, you know, we hope that it's giving you something more than just what you see right. out there. Right. Just right. Now, another thing that's really important to help teens feel safe with you so that they will l- talk to you and listen to you is to focus on a strength-based motivation strategy. Strength-based mm. motivation. Have you ever heard of that or... I've heard about it from you. Yeah, I've heard about it from you. But I know it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big thing and that we, we should do a whole podcast on it because it's a lot. Right, right. Well, let me just give you some basics on it because it really can be life changing with your teenagers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what our culture teaches us is that if we will find fault with other people, then that will motivate them to change. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. If we'll find fault with our spouse, point out their faults, then that will motivate them to change. Right. Mm -hmm. But really, if I say to my honey, you know, it's like, man, you know, you leave your clothes on the floor a lot. This is, you know, you're kind of sloppy. Can Mm. you like not do that? What's, what's the usual result? Mm, Yeah. Just a bad feeling. Bad feeling. Defensiveness. No, I don't look at your stuff. Right. Right. This happens all over. and But the problem is, is that we don't understand that the fault-finding motivation creates so much defensiveness. And it's it, the result usually is either, you know, a rupture in the relationship mm-hmm. or, you know, just resistance. It's really a negative thing. So what do we do? What's the solution? Instead of fault-finding motivation, we do strength-based motivation. Okay, so what is that, strength-based? So basically what you do is you find something that they're already good at. Mm already good at and you focus on that you comment on that and then you ask them to just take that skill that thing that they're already doing well and let that just kind of flow over into this other this other goal okay so for instance um if you've got a i mean the funny one that i do with my clients all the time is i'll actually reenact it i'll actually go outside of the door i'll say okay you know this is you're Josh, you're in your bedroom, you're a teenager, I'm the mom, I'm going to go outside my door, and I'll close the door, and I'll actually knock on the door, you know, open the door, and I'll reenact this whole thing. And I'll walk in, and I'll look around, and I'll look aghast at the floor, and I'll look at the walls, and I'll look at the ceiling, and I'll say, Josh, you are such a slob. Look at this. You've got trash on the floor. You've got clothes on the floor. You've got, you know, dirty underwear on the floor. I can't believe this. You are such a pig. You get this cleaned up right now, right now, or you can't go out tonight with your friends. Okay, so what's the feeling that Josh is going to have when he gets that kind of fault-finding approach? Yeah, my mom is a jerk. Yeah, I feel ashamed. I'm going to be, yeah, upset. Resentful? Yeah. Right. Very well. And so that's a big rupture in the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so instead of that, I'll go outside the door and I'll knock again, open the door, and I'll come in and I'll look around, okay? Same dirty bedroom, right? Mm -hmm. I'll look up at the ceiling and I'll say, you know, Josh, your ceiling is really clean. Look at that ceiling. It's like no clothes, no trash, no, it doesn't need to be vacuumed. I mean, dang. Josh, that ceiling's amazing. <laughs> and see, right now, Josh is kind of laughing like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> but but it, see, it's kind of a positive thing. And and then you keep going. You say, you know, Josh, what what do we have to do to get the rest of your room to look as good as that ce- ceiling? Because you've done a great job on that ceiling. And mm-hmm. you know what? That ceiling looks as good as you are. 
Hmm. You are that kind of person that that nice, wonderful, amazing ceiling. What can we do to make your bedroom look more like you are? Because this bedroom is not really like you. And uh, so I'll tell you what. So this is going to problem solving, but it's Mm kind of creative. You say, okay, so Josh, you be the boss. I'll be the slave. So this is collaborative, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying, you cleaned up by yourself. No, let's collaborate. Let's make this relational, Mm -hmm. right? So this is kind of a fun little thing we're doing together. Okay, you be the boss. I'll be the slave. You tell me what to do. And we'll work together and get this done. And, but you have to be pretty fair with me because if you make me work too hard, I'm going to like rebel and I'm not going to work. So you got to be fair or, you know, and, and, you know, so he laughs and it's kind of stupid and everything, but really you're there and you're like, Hey, seriously, I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. Let's do this because then your room will be as just as wonderful as my son, Josh is. Mm -hmm. So that's strength-based motivation. So for instance, if you're a boss with an employee, you know, you can do that with them. We can talk about that in the, in the fuller podcast. To stop with the fault finding as much as possible. Now, mm. yes, there are times when you basically have to say, that is not going to work. Mm-hmm. That is n- not going to stand. I'm not going to put up with that. Okay. Right. You can do that. But instead of 95% of the time fault finding, maybe it's 5 to 10% of the yeah. time. Yeah. And 90% of the time you're like going, you know what? You did that really well. Can you do this other thing well like that too? Now, the really great thing about strength-based motivation mm-hmm. is that... If they go, see, with a regular fault-finding motivation, you know, it's like, hey, can you start being on time? You're late to everything, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're like, no, I can't be on time. The traffic, or there's too much to do, Mm -hmm. or my kids, whatever. Right, 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 right. But if the the strength-based motivation, you're like, you know what? I notice that you come to work every day on time after lunch. After lunch, you are always on time. I notice that. What do, what do we have to do to get you to be on time in the morning? Because you're super successful being on time after lunch. And the interesting thing is they can't deny it. They can't go, no, uh They're like, uh, you're right. So there's really very little defensiveness hmm. with the strength-based motivation. They can't say, like, no, I, I can't. I did, I did horrible. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty great. It's a pretty, pretty cool thing. And, and people feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. We were talking about like special relational things with teenagers. I have a friend who they do a trip with their 12-year-old with mom. And then when they graduate as a senior, they do a special trip just with their dad. Hmm. And I always thought that looked really fun. And it was like a weekend. They'd go somewhere cool. And I just thought it seemed super memorable and really fun. Right, and take pictures. Yeah, take lots of pictures. Take lots of pictures, make some kind of scrapbook or something. Right. That is lovely. I love that. I love that. Another thing is some parents make a lunch bunch for their high school friend groups. Mm. Um, if, in, if you have a closed campus, you can't do this, but a lot of high schools don't have a closed campus. And so if your child has a friend group, talk to the moms. Make sure you're talking to the moms, right? Yeah. And the parents and um, make sure you're communicating. But one of the ways they can do that is they organize a rotating lunch bunch where once a week, um, the the parent provides a nice lunch at their home for all the friends. The friends come over, have the great lunch. The mom gets their eyeballs on the friends. Mm-hmm. Starts It helps their love map, right? It's like I get to know these kids a little bit. And then they're off and running and each mom gets to do that. And it, cool. it's a really cool, I love that idea. And that'd be something fun you could do as a homeschool group. Oh. Instead of like, let's drag all the little kids and get together with everyone. It's like, hey, this is just the teenager kind of get together. Right. For lunch. Right. That'd be fun. Yes. 
The last big topic that I'd love to talk to is how to collaborate on rules and consequences rather than just laying down the law. We touched on this before, but this is very, very important. So tempting to just lay down the law. Right. And especially when you're emotional. It seems so much easier. Right. And especially when you're emotional. And so one of the great things is if you can have some of these interview times or these, you know, together times and you talk about, okay, oh, oh. I'll tell you something I forgot to tell you. Um, In these interview times, a very important thing that parents can do that's very innovative is you predict what will happen to your child in the near future. Hmm. And why is that helpful? Well, so here's the thing. You want to be able to say to your 11-year-old son or your 8-year-old daughter, hey, you're going to have some changes in your body. Hmm. That's coming up. Right. You know, And you help them feel like that you know, they've been informed. And it's not just changes in your body. It could be, you know, a lot of times around sixth or seventh grade, there's a big shift in friend groups. Yeah. Just just know that. And that's kind of normal as people, you know, glom onto different values and, and they're trying to on different identities and things like that. And then you can talk about, um, you know, dating. You can talk about social things. You can talk about physical things. You can talk about athletic things. You can talk about, you know, any of the challenges Uh, social media things, depending on what you allow them, but you predict what will be happening to them in the Mm. near future. Now, why that's important is because number one, you want to clue them in, Mm. right? You don't want things, things to be a shock to them. And the other thing is that when it comes to pass, they look at you like, whoa, I know what you're talking about. My mom told me this would happen. Yeah. And it makes you a wonderful, wise and benevolent person for them to attach to. Okay, And so as much as you can, think in terms of what was it like when I was this age? Yes, things have changed, but some things don't. And talk about, you know, now when the mean girl thing happens, you know, that that will likely happen. And so you can do this, you can do that. Don't be surprised when it happens. This well, doesn't. And, and then the other benefit is when it does happen, they'll come say, hey, mom, remember how we talked about exactly. this? So they'll come and talk to you instead of just... Right. Doing Say it on their own. Exactly. Mom doesn't get it. Right. Exactly. So predicting what will happen in the near future is a super important thing to do in those interview times, along with clarifying their values, talking about your family values. Another thing in those interview and, and setting goals and things like that. Another thing that's really useful during those interview times is to tell stories. Uh. And stories are a great way to communicate information without saying, you did this, you did that. So if your child is struggling with something, if you will tell a story about yourself or a friend or one mm-hmm. of their friends or even somebody in Africa or whatever, right. hey, this really happened to somebody. And tell the story without saying, and, you know, instead of saying, you shouldn't do this, just say, yeah, this girl did this and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. That is a really great way to talk so kids will listen. Mm-hmm. And so instead of just lecturing. Exactly. Instead yeah. of lecturing. So telling those stories is a really important thing to. So let's talk about collaborating on rules and consequences rather than just laying down the law. So ahead of time, you want to talk about, okay, we have this problem. Uh, we want to keep you safe, even though you're dating. And so part of what we do to keep kids safe while they're dating is make sure that they're in group dates. They're not pairing off. You know, you have someone come to the door. We meet them, whatever rules. But as you're doing that, you know, you are saying to them, we're trying to keep you safe. And what do you think would be good things? So you get their suggestion And then you say, here's my suggestion. Let's see if we can mix those together. Maybe we come up with something else and collaborate and have them enrolled in making the actual rules and then say, now, if you do get home late and you haven't called us 30 minutes ahead of time and shown us a FaceTime around where you are so we can see where you are, 
then what should happen? Right. Help them to decide. So they know right. and they agree. And right, right. So that's that's a really important piece to do to do that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, if they collaborate on the consequences and on the rules, you're going to have teenagers that are much more compliant. Yeah. Okay, one other little thing I want to tell you. Some families have like morning devotions, right? Morning devotions, maybe they have scriptures or some religious readings or something like that. And teenagers are notorious Mm. for just laying around, resenting it, hating it. And then it gets into a power struggle with the parents. Not interacting. Right, right, right. And this is a very tricky thing because if the parents crack the whip, Mm. shame their child, and demand compliance, Mm -hmm. you may have just lost your child from the feelings of religiosity that you're hoping to inculcate in them. Mm. Don't make make that mistake. Don't be resentful of the whole thing. Don't make that mistake. So my counsel to you is if you have these religious devotions or religious activities, that your teenager is just acting like they're like a, you know, just dead in the water or whatever, be a little graceful with them. Be patient with them. Don't command them to, you know, look sharp and, and don't do that. Cut them a little slack. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're saying rude things, that's different. But say they're just like asleep on the sofa mm-hmm. or asleep on the floor. What I tell my clients when they kind of complain about this, I'm like, but guess what? When your children are highly relaxed, that they're in a relaxed state, they are actually open to suggestion. They're in a very relaxed state, and that's where you can gently, you know, share with them your feelings, the information, the the ideas and ideals of your religion. And they actually will absorb it better than if they're, for sure better than if they're defensive. But just in that relaxed, sleepy state is actually not a bad thing. Mm, Interesting. So give them a blanket, let them curl up on the floor. Mm. Yeah, they might act like they're snoring. Don't worry about it. Mm. Make it a comfortable time for them. And that's okay. And then break out the hot chocolate. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And you could even collaborate. Mm-hmm. about when is the best time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, for sure. when do you want to show up for sure for sure and stuff like that yeah. and, and how, you know, what can we do to make it right like you're saying right they like hot chocolate let's do hot yeah. chocolate and probably the last thing i'd like to say for parents of teenagers is you know what pick your battles pick your battles stop being nitpicky about every little thing right that ship has sailed you can do that with an eight-year-old you know now there are some battles that i think are important and and i hate to even call them battles but there's some hills that are important right you got to take this hill man you got it you got to you got to take this hill but the in for the in the main try to back off on all the nitpicking it can be so discouraging to to teenagers and just really talk about their strengths and um just ignore a lot of stuff that yeah maybe it's a style thing maybe it's a it's not like you mom well so what they are going to be different and you have to think about Mm -hmm. their peers are they nitpicking all these little things right no right they could go to their friend group right to just love them for who they are exactly and just think they're fun and all Mm -hmm. that so I love that. That's a really good insight. You have to kind of compare yourself to that really seductive peer group. And you have to kind of seduce your child, too. You You can't be the meanie. Balance that. All the time. Right. So that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Love it. Love (laughs) it. So many great things. I I was telling 
my Instagram people. I'm already learning so much from these, <laughs> and I'm excited for everyone else to learn all the stuff too. It's pretty great. I love teens. They're most of the time they're just really, really great people, and even the ones that are giving everybody a hard time underneath it all, they're very tender. Yeah, they're very tender. So that's cool. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. Yes, it's been a joy. Yeah, we don't even know what we're talking about next week, do we? We'll we'll finally be done with attachment. Yay, it's been five podcasts without attachment. So cool. Oh, it's been great. We'll see you guys. Bye-bye. Find more from us at dashintolearning.com for all things educational and learn more about Dash Into Happy, our family-friendly social-emotional learning program. Thanks for being part of Families with Dash. Disclaimer, the information and advice posted on the Dash Into Learning, Dash Into Happy, and Into Happy site and podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional, medical, mental health, legal, or other professional assistance. Call your medical or mental health professional or 911 for all emergencies. Joan Landis, Amelia Murdoch are not liable for any advice or information provided on the account Dash Into Happy, Dash Into Learning, Families with Dash, or Into Happy.